This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Morally, legally, historically, politically, it has always been the case since this great nation began to regulate the passage of people across its borders that the central question asked by our immigration policy has come down to just three words, who gets in? And now we are asking it again as we all see a wave of men, women, and children departing Syria by the millions, a Syria that no question is a hell right now. All of these people looking to get someplace else and someplace safe. And should the United States be that place for some of them? We have said we will take 10,000, but is that enough when there are so many more? Or is that too many already for a nation fearful of terrorism rooted in the Middle East? Well, this sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue two against two, for and against this motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York City votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's meet our debaters with the motion being the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Welcome the team arguing for that motion. First, ladies and gentlemen, greet Robert Ford. And Robert Ford, you're a senior fellow at the Middle East Institute. You have had a long career in the Foreign Service, including this very relevant fact for us in this debate. You were the last officially named full U.S. ambassador to Syria. You arrived there in 2011, three weeks before the uprising began. Did you have any sense at that time what was coming? We expected that there was going to be a conflict. Uh, we soon had hundreds of thousands of peaceful marchers in cities across Syria. So we knew that the country was hurtling towards major change. Thank you very much. And please tell us who your debating partner is. It's my pleasure, my honor to be on uh, a team with David Miliband. Ladies and gentlemen, David Miliband. David, you are also arguing for the motion that the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. You are a former United Kingdom Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs. You are now President and CEO of the International Rescue Committee. The IRC oversees humanitarian relief operations in more than 30 countries afflicted by war. IRC is also involved in settling refugees here in the United States. David, how many Syrians have you been able to assist? We've helped uh, 415 
Syrians over the four years of the civil war out of the 10,000 a year that we resettle from all countries across the U.S. Okay, interesting and relevant data point for us. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing for the motion. That motion again, the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Two debaters arguing against the motion. First, please welcome David Frum. David, you are a senior editor at The Atlantic. You're chairman of the board of trustees of the U.K. think tank Policy Exchange. You wrote speeches for George W. Bush last fall. In an interview discussing the refugee crisis itself, you said that we were going through what you called a Princess Diana moment, which means what? A Princess Diana moment is a moment of intense emotionality um, that can override reason and judgment and that has a kind of subtly coercive element against those who might otherwise be moved to say something different. Ladies and gentlemen, David Frum. And your partner? I I am so pleased to be here with Jessica Vaughn, who is one of America's leading authorities on the costs of migration and resettlement. And ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Vaughn. Also arguing against the motion, the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. You're right now Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. You also had a career in foreign service. But to to the center's work, based on its research, it holds a policy it calls low immigration but pro-immigrant. And how does that vision translate to the Syrian situation? We care about the people, uh, but the numbers are also important, particularly the number of people. And the number we admit is not necessarily the best yardstick for evaluating the success of a program. Okay, a little look ahead at your argument, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing against the motion. Okay, let's move on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. The motion is this. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Speaking first in support of the motion, I want to welcome David Miliband. He is a former U.K. Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, now President and CEO of the International Rescue Committee, or IRC, a term you'll hear a lot tonight. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, David Miliband. Thank you very much. Our case for the motion rests on three pillars, that admitting 100,000 Syrian refugees to the United States is the right thing to do, that it's a practical thing to do, and that it's a smart thing to do. It's the right thing to do, not just because these are people in great need, but because the history of this country speaks to refugee resettlement as a core part of the American story. Secondly, we will argue that it's a practical thing to do, because the U.S. has a proven, secure and effective system for refugee resettlement, far, far better than the chaotic scenes you see in Europe at the moment. And the third thing is that we will show you it's a smart thing to do to support this motion, because the last thing that ISIS and other hate mongers around the world want is for the US to be a beacon of hope and inclusion. The battle against extremism is fought not just by bombs and special forces. It's a battle of ideas, and it's a battle of examples. And our greatest weapon is the living reality of communities that show how to cross boundaries of race, religion, and color. Now, the Syria war shows few signs of ending, and the refugees desperately need help. Most of them are in the Middle East, and that's where most of the help is going. But for a minority, refugee resettlement in richer countries, safer countries, offers unique benefits. For those who are most vulnerable... For the kids with autism, for the people who've had their limbs blown off by barrel bombs, the care that is on offer in countries like this 
has no parallel. Secondly, and importantly, resettlement is essential because countries like Lebanon and Jordan simply cannot cope with the millions of refugees that they have. Jordan is your second closest ally in the Middle East. It's a country of six million people. It has 650,000 refugees. That is like the whole of Poland coming to America in the space of four years. They're dealing with it alone at the moment. And for goodness sake, if Canada can take 25,000, then the United States, ten times the size of Canada, can take 100,000 refugees. The U.S. has shown the world how to make refugee resettlement work. Get the kids into school. Teach the parents English. Get them a job. Get them on the path to citizenship. And you have patriotic and productive citizens. The direct federal cost of services and benefits associated with resettling 100,000 refugees in this country, it's 1.4 cents per American per day. That's the direct federal cost of services and benefits. It's true that that doesn't include healthcare costs or school costs, but nor does it include the taxes that Syrians pay when they work. And let me give you figures from my organization. 415 Syrians resettled by the IRC. Our services show that last year, 8 out of 10 Syrians who we resettled were in work within 6 months of getting to the United States. Our opponents will ask you tonight to shatter the American dream for 100,000 people in desperate need of hope. And we ask you to keep that dream alive. These people are sitting in Beirut, and they're sitting in Amman, and they're sitting in Istanbul. And they're asking themselves a simple question. Does America stand for anything anymore? We say it does. We urge you to support the motion with your head and your heart. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, David Miliband. And that motion is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. And here to make his opening statement against this motion, David Frum, senior editor at The Atlantic and chairman of the Board of Trustees for Policy Exchange. Ladies and gentlemen, David Frum. Thank you. Tonight, we debate how to respond to one of the most terrible humanitarian disasters of the post-Cold War era. Human beings are at risk are suffering, are dying, have died. All sides of this debate take these grim issues deeply and seriously to heart. What is to be done? At the time when this debate topic was proposed in October, President Obama was mocking concerns about Syrian refugees as fear of widows and orphans. Since then have come the coordinated mass sexual assaults by migrants and refugees in Cologne and other German cities the victims of sexual abuse by refugees and migrants in Germany and Austria and Sweden since the turn of the year, now number nearly 1,000. The giddy mood of the fall has faded. Clearly, there are individuals and families who need to be in the West. That is not what we are talking about tonight. We are, tonight we are talking about what is to be done with the very, very large numbers of Syrian refugees um, who do not have prior connections to the West, who, are not, who have no uh, family, who are not connected to people here, and who lack the aptitudes and skills that would normally qualify them for the usual immigration processes. Despite the posters that remind us that Albert Einstein was once a refugee, the social, economic, and cultural gap between the global south and the global north, between the Middle East and the Middle West, is extremely wide and very difficult to cross. Before the Syrian civil war began in 2010, the average Syrian had less than six years of formal schooling. Women were harshly subordinated, and their literacy levels were significantly lower than those of men. 
Pre-war Syria was a tribal society characterized by lawlessness, high levels of religious fundamentalism, and deep, deep sectarian animosities. We've seen in the reception centers of Germany that Syrian Sunni Muslim refugees have violently attacked Christians, Yazidis, and people they perceive as gay. We may be told that migrants to the United States will be screened more carefully than the no-questions-asked approach taken in Germany and across Europe. But what needs to be stressed is that screening is impossible. Radicalization is increasingly something that happens in the West, among the second generation of Middle Eastern migrants, those who will be born here. It was people born in the West who carried out the Paris massacres. It was a man born in Chicago, Illinois, who committed mass slaughter in San Bernardino. To date, the United States has suffered far less from this internal self-radicalization than Europe has suffered. Americans owe their greater security to a very practical fact. While the United States has experienced a large surge of low-skilled migration from countries in this hemisphere, its migration from the greater Middle East has been more carefully selected. Migrants who bring with them the skills and values that lead to success in the United States are likely to raise successful and well-integrated children. Those who don't, won't. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. You have heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Welcoming to the lectern, Robert Ford, a senior fellow at the Middle East Institute and former U.S. ambassador to Syria, who will be arguing for the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Ford. The Syria conflict has affected more people than Hurricane Katrina, the Indian Ocean tsunami, and the Haitian earthquake combined. This is not a normal situation. And in an abnormal situation, people look to the United States. That's what global leadership is about. Yes, there have been problems in Germany. The process by which people are brought into the United States is completely different from what's going on in Germany and other countries in Europe. Uh, Is it perfect? No. No human endeavor is perfect. But it's quite, quite good. How many of you have seen a terrorist incident by a refugee here in the United States? Anybody seen one? 785,000 refugees, 115,000 Iraqi refugees have come into the United States. Has anybody seen any of them commit a mass shooting, terrorist incident in a mall? No. There have been some Iraqis arrested for terrorism. That is true. Um, I think the latest number is five out of roughly 115,000. The process of screening is very long. It takes 18 to 24 months Multiple U.S. government intelligence agencies, including the CIA, the National Counterterrorism Center, the FBI, the Defense Department, the State Department, and other intelligence agencies are involved in building a dossier for each refugee case. 
So we can bring them in with an assurance of very good safety, and the record shows that. The record shows that safety. Now, I want to talk also, because I was in the Middle East, I want you to understand that the Islamic State wants the Americans to reject refugees from Syria. The Islamic State wants the United States to say, we don't want Syrian refugees, we don't want Muslims coming to the United States. The Islamic State wants to paint this as a battle between the Christian West and the Muslim world. That helps their recruitment. It's not an accident that a terrorist organization with links to al-Qaeda and the Islamic State in Somalia, called al-Shabaab, put a Donald Trump spot in some of their online recruitment materials. And so as we think about how to pursue the battle against the Islamic State, which involves military operations, diplomatic efforts to build a coalition, efforts to cut off their finances and other things, our policy on refugees must fit into that broader policy context. Otherwise, our right hand is undermining what our military, diplomatic, Treasury Department-led financial efforts are doing. We don't want that. And so, again, I ask you to think about the security, think about the safety, think about our values, and vote for the motion. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robert Ford. And that motion, once again, is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Here's our final debater in opening statement speaking against the motion, Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. Ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Vaughn. This motion is irresponsible in the extreme. I'm going to explain the two main reasons why 60% of the American public is opposed to this proposal and why you should be too. The main reason is that it's simply an enormous and unacceptable security risk. 100,000 is a huge number. It's two times the current annual flow of refugees. It's five times the number, annual number of Iraqis that we've been bringing in. Uh, the main thing is, I mean, we know that terror groups are trying to infiltrate the refugee flow. I'm willing to take them at their word. They've told us that. They're seeking to exploit it. it ha- it's, we need to pay attention to what's happening in Europe, not just Paris, and other, but other places. But these uh, refugees have all, who are terrorists have already succeeded in infiltrating our flow. There have been 15 instances just since 2014 of either refugees who were terrorists who were admitted mistakenly, we we didn't catch them, or people admitted as refugees who later became terrorists. We hear that they have three interviews. We hear that they're fingerprinted. We hear that we check databases. The truth is that even our fabulous screening system, which is supposedly better than anyone else's in the world, has made some mistakes before. And that's why, don't believe me, believe the director of the FBI, who, with his top uh, staff, have testified before Congress to say that it simply can't be done. And we have to remember, these these refugees are chosen by UN employees who are hired locally. You heard it, we actually outsource the selection of refugees and the first two most important interviews to UN staff from 
the, this region. Now, even if we were over to, able to overcome the very real security concerns and risks, there's another huge reason to vote, say no to this proposal to admit 100,000 Syrian refugees, and that is the huge fiscal cost to taxpayers and to the communities where they're going to be placed. The UN has two options to help refugees. One is integration near where they are, and the other is resettlement. And resettlement is definitely the luxury option for sure. 100,000 Syrian refugees quite simply will break the bank of many communities. According to the federal government, 91% of refugees from the Middle East are on food stamps. 68% of them are qualifying for cash assistance. The total five-year cost for one Syrian refugees can be $64,000, 12 times the cost of what the UN spends locally helping Syrians in Syria. And, it, and as is typical in these programs that cost money, the cost is going to be borne by the communities where people are that are forced to absorb these individuals, not by the people who are talking the loudest and trying to push it on these communities. Let's be clear, we have to acknowledge that our compassion has to be backed up by our wallets. And that's why the better responsible thing to do is to say no to the proposal to bring in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Thank you, Jessica Vaughn. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, it's looser. The debaters address one another in turn and take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City. Our motion is this. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. We have debating for the motion David Miliband and Robert Ford. We have heard them argue that letting in 100,000 refugees, it's right, it's practical, and it's smart that the terrorist uh, threat is extremely exaggerated, that, in fact, the screening process works. They also argue that not to accept these 100,000 refugees shatters the American dream. The team arguing against the motion, Jessica Vaughn and David Frum, argue uh, letting in 100,000 Syrian refugees simply is not in America's interest, that the costs would be enormous, both from a security point of view and from a financial point of view. They point already to experiences that Germany is having. They say 100,000 is simply not a number of refugees that the United States can absorb without an enormous impact of a negative kind on the communities that accept them. So we have a lot of ways to slice this up, I'm delighted to say, and we're going to work through some of them. Um, I want to go back to David Miliband, this issue of propaganda, your argument that of no vote, for example, tonight on the part of the audience would play into the hands of ISIS. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? And then I want your opponents to respond to it. I think there's a really important piece of understanding for people. The jihadist threat we face, the threat of violent jihadist extremism, is very strategic in the actions that it takes. And the whole purpose of their terrorist activity is precisely to foment the kind of fear that would lead people to say, America should admit no refugees. And the reason is very, very simple. They want, their narrative is explicit, and it is that the Muslim world, one and a half billion Muslims around the world, are in the situation they are because of Christians and Jews. That is the essential heart of the jihadist message. And by saying no Syrians should come to this country, you confirm 
all the prejudice at the heart of their message. It's a very, very simple David, point. Just a, just, David, I, David, I have to, they are, your, opponents, are your, your opponents are not saying no Syrians should come to this country. They're very explicit about well, that. How many are they saying? I mean, please ask them, how many Syrians would be the right number? Okay, we'll get to that, but I, I will get to that. But I first want to have you respond to your opponent's point on the propaganda point. Well, let's look at Westerners who actually have been recruited to ISIS and let's see what their grievances were. We do many things that ISIS doesn't like. We don't force women to wear veils. We don't subordinate Christian and Jews. And we don't allow young men opportunities to engage in massive gratuitous violence. Uh, That is what attracts people to ISIS. Embedded in what David Miliband just said is an assumption that I urge you to reject, which is that ISIS is a kind of civil rights organization. Uh, that, has re- that responds to rational grievances about job discrimination and exclusion. That is not true. You think, it, you think it's not true that they can turn a no vote tonight into a campaign poster for them? Does it, I think is it can, true? I think the people in this room can vote no with impunity. Germany has admitted more than a million Syrian refugees in the past 12 months. Just a few days ago, an ISIS Syrian bomber targeted German tourists in Istanbul. You don't get a thank you note. Jessica Vaughn. Jessica Vaughn, your opponents say that the vetting is pretty darn good. And you, in your opening statement, you challenged that somewhat as a matter of assertion. And theirs right now is a matter of assertion. Go a little bit into the weeds for us and tell us what's wrong with the American vetting. Well, what goes on when vetting really happens? Well, what we're told is that uh, our vetting system is absolutely fabulous, the best in the world, and that refugees get more vetting than any other type of immigrant. But the fact is, number one, Syria... And Syrians are different because we do not, unlike in Iraq and Somalia, we don't, there's no one there that we can call on the phone to ask about whether what an applicant has put on their application is true. And that would, hap- no that would happen in, an, in, an, in another setting. It could, yeah. If you really are serious about vetting, that is what is done. We don't have any information to vet against in the case of, of the Syrians. And, uh, again, we've outsourced these critical interviews to U.N. employees whose mission is to help peop- try to help people and to want to wanna believe what they say. It's basically an honor system. To your opponent, Robert Ford, and first of all, to clarify for the audience that in the, in the process in Syria, the United Nations High uh, Commissioner on Refugees uh, has staff that takes a sort of first crack at, at choosing people, and then after that... Um, uh, American vetting gets involved. So that's what your opponents were referring to. But uh, Robert Ford, can you do a little more education as well as uh, debate with your opponents? Sure. Um, when I was in Syria, I oversaw a refugee operation of the United States government. It was in our embassy in Damascus. And when I was deputy ambassador in Iraq, we had a similar refugee uh, office. So a couple of points I'd make. Number one, no one in the United States government ever allows the United Nations to decide who comes in to the United States, period. Number two, we do have information, and it doesn't come from the Syrian government. But you know what? The Syrian government lies. I've seen that firsthand. The Syrian government, not only does it starve people and use chemical weapons against them and drop barrel bombs on them, but it smears people. It smeared me personally. I'm frankly happy that we don't have to depend on the Syrian government for the information we use okay. to bring refugees here. Uh, okay, Third, we're one, we're, last point. I, I have no, to, I'm uh, not finished. No, Robert. Robert. 
Robert, last point. Robert, you're going to have to hold it. David Frum. Um, terrorism is not the only kind of security problem. There are other kinds of delinquency. There are other kinds of criminality. We are not arguing for zero. And we're not, uh, we are arguing for selection. We are arguing that people who, have, who are likely to succeed here, who have deep family contacts, um, and who, are, who really are at risk because of their liberal democratic views inside the Middle East, yes, they, can, they belong in the West. But understand, we're talking about a population that, although it may, many of it is urban, is one-fifth uh, agricultural population. It's a population median or uh, typical levels of education are six years, less for women, high levels of religious fundamentalism. Different populations succeed in different ways or fail in different ways. And it is not acceptable to say that refugees are no problem. All the terrorist incidents involve their children. That is not, to my mind, a good answer. All right, David Miliband, to respond. A very famous American senator, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, said, you're entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own facts. Do you know how many times that (laughs) phrase has been used in our debates? I'm a newcomer to this country, so I'm allowed to use it. We're going to run the tape of all previous debaters. It's really important that we hold on to the facts here. 785,000 refugees since 2001, 115,000 Iraqis, five arrested for terrorist offences, none of them committing terrorist acts, three of them out of the country. How many Syrian refugees have been arrested in the United States for terrorist-related offences? The answer is zero. Now, when we put those facts, David says, yeah, ah, it's not just about terrorism, they're likely to be delinquents. And so we're then on to another argument where he says, don't worry about the terrorism, that's not my main point. I'm worried that they're not going to be employed or that their sons and daughters are not going to be employed. The responsibility then is, what is the integration system? And the integration system that I can speak to you about from 26 cities in which we work is one where 80% of people from Syria are in work within six months. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Question right down here. Caitlin Connolly. My question is, can you engage more with the values aspect of the debate? I've heard some comments about looking for urban elite and uh, poverty being a disqualifier. Why should we be targeting skilled immigrants? Shouldn't we actually be helping those who are most in need of it? Let me go first to Robert Ford. Caitlin, thank you for that question. To me, it means everything as an American, that we are a leader on humanistic values and that the United States, through foreign aid programs and through immigration programs, reaches out to people around the world. And Syria, as I mentioned, the scale of the conflict is just enormous. And so I don't think we would discriminate and say, oh, if you're an uneducated farmer from eastern Syria, you shouldn't ever come to the United States. I think in the end, what we really want is we want to mix of Syrians consistent with security screening uh, who organizations like David's um, can resettle here in the United States. Okay, let's let your opponent Jessica Vaughn respond. Sure. I I would first say that we we cannot predict or judge um, what the success of uh, refugees is going to be based on the people who have already been admitted necessarily um, because the population that the UN is selecting for resettlement is very different from those Syrians who came here, who had the means to come here on their own. But secondly, I don't, I don't think it's inconsistent with our values at all to proceed 
prudently and carefully and in low numbers in admission of Syrian refugees because, as I said in my remarks, we have options in terms of uh, wanting to help people and assist the people displaced by this conflict. And our government is obligated to use the limited resources that we have to act on that desire to help in the most cost-effective, efficient way that helps the most people. That option is not resettlement, but by providing assistance to more people in the region. I'm John Donvan. More questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Here, sir, if you can stand up. Uh, my name is Omar. Uh, I'm an American Muslim, and this is for David Frum. Uh, I'm the second-generation child of immigrants. Uh, you mentioned that, I quote, problems show up in the second generation. <laughs> I consider myself to be fully and proudly American. Um, I coach basketball, and I, I'm an IT government consultant in D.C. And could you explain where and why you feel problems would show up in the second, second generation of Syrian refugees? May I, Omar, may I ask you a question? What does your mother do? passed away last April, but she worked at my public school. And, and where was she educated? Um, she was educated in her country, Pakistan. And, and what level of education did she have? Um, she attended community college um, at our local community college in, in Howard County. And she worked here as a teacher? Uh, she was, um, worked in the guidance counselor. She, was a, she worked with, uh, with the um, bookkeeping. Okay, we, we see where you're going. So, okay. so let's take it forward. Um, because as, as I hope you'll recall, what I said in my remarks about first and second generation is the United States has not to date had this problem precisely because uh, to date it has been true that when the United States has taken people from the greater Middle East, and this is a way, this is why there's such a stark difference between the American experience and the European experience, we have selected uh, for people like your parents. Um, And when the parents, and especially the mothers, um, are educated and integrated and succeed, the children succeed. As I said, um, those who have what it takes to succeed in the Western world, their children will flourish. Um, And the the American experience is testament to that. Europe is the counterexample. What is going on, one of the things we're debating tonight is should American uh, refugee policy, should it continue to reflect what has been successful about the particular American experience with Muslim immigrants, which has been hugely successful in the United States? Muslim Americans are better educated than the American norm. They have higher incomes than the American norm. And the question is, are we going to continue that approach or are we going to change the approach that Europe has taken that has created these banlieues around European cities um, where in the second generation, because the parents are poor, because the parents are not integrated, and and these 100,000 Syrian refugees are going to not, the likelihood is they are not going to be a success, and their children are then going to be attracted to whatever is around. And if in 30 years from now it's Islamic extremism, it may be that. Robert Ford, I'm interested to hear your response. Again, and I'm not to be joking about it, but briefly, because I want to go on with more questions, but, but, but David gave his best explanation just then about how we select who should get in, the opening question, who gets in. Do you have any objection to his criteria? I think it's important uh, that the Syrian, the 100,000 Syrian refugees that come in uh, be screened for security, obviously. I've emphasized that tonight. Uh, 
Second, I think it's important for the audience to understand that the vast majority of Syrian refugees that are coming in, the vast majority, are women and children under the age of 17. So David's argument about the second generation I do find interesting. I do. I keep thinking, however, of people like Stephen Jobs, who was a second-generation Syrian refugee from the city of Homs. I keep thinking about comedian Seinfeld show. Seinfeld is also a second-generation Syrian refugee, Paula Abdul. It's not to say that every Syrian refugee is going to become or their children are going to become entertainers and brilliant. No, but I'm, I'm making a serious point. But America is not just a humanistic country in terms of our values, but it's also a place of opportunity. So in a sense, I don't think that David's argument about second generation or third generation makes a lot of sense unless you look at a bigger context. Okay, ma'am, in the back there. Hi, my name is Sherry. I'm a native New Yorker. Um, and it's wonderful to be a beacon, and it, it's wonderful to have all these idealistic things. But what about taking care of the indigenous people like Pine Ridge Reservation, the natives of this country, people that are starving and freezing because <laughs> we don't have enough money to take care of them, let alone taking in... Um, you know, these refugees. Okay, that's a great question, and it actually comes a little bit back to where I wanted to go anyway. David Miliband, let's take it, and then we hear from Jessica Vaughn after that. Anyone who's traveled across the U.S., or anyone who's followed American politics and followed the debate over 50 years about the so-called war on poverty can see that the case you make for attention for incredibly large numbers of people in the U.S., frankly, a lot of people in New York. I've lived in New York for two years, I'm shocked by the number of people who are on the streets. I walk my kids to school every morning. I'm shocked by how many people are on the streets. I don't think you should ask the refugees to pay the price of sorting out those people. I think America can deal with its own social problems at home while spending, frankly, a minuscule amount of uh, money, relatively speaking. America spends 0.21% of its national income, 0.2% of its national income on overseas uh, aid. The, the sums that we're talking about, 1.4 cents per American per day to resettle 100,000 refugees, I think you allow, allows you to say those social problems can be addressed. They don't have to be the expressed. Uh, they don't have to be addressed at the expense of the role that you play in the world and the example that you can play and the contribution that these people can make. Okay, Jessica Vaughn. Well, the problem with that analysis is that it doesn't reflect the reality of, I mean, you can say, okay, we're going to aggregate the cost across every American in the country, but that's not the way refugee resettlement happens. They're not going to the zip codes that can afford it. They're going to the zip codes that have the lowest cost housing, already high unemployment rates, struggling schools, and these communities have no say in how many, what kind or what, uh, when refugees will be placed in their community. And it, it, these refugees are not coming with an increase in federal grants or any other programs to help them shoulder the cost. And it's not that there's, uh, it, there's no moral failing on the part of the refugees. The fact is that they really do need a significant um, amount of services so that they can survive here. 
but the cost of those services is borne primarily by the local community, not by Uncle Sam. That concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Now we go on to round three. Round three is our closing statements by each debater. In turn, our motion is this. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Making his closing statement in support of the motion, David Miliband, President and CEO of the International Rescue Committee and former U.K. Foreign Secretary. We've heard, we've heard a lot of statistics tonight, but actually this motion is about people. It's about families who've lost husbands and sons. It's about children who've lost parents. And it's about families who've lost the hope that there'll ever be a chance for them to rebuild their lives. I meet these families. We serve them every day, including those who are trying to who arrive in the United States, are destined for a state, and the governor, a state of the U.S., and the governor says they can't go there. They stop in New York City. I, saw, I met that family last month. That family were running a realty business in Deraa, where the Civil War started. One of the cousins got hit by an Assad barrel bomb. The daughter is still in Deraa, and the day before I met that family, the Russians had dropped a bomb next door to her. If you're going to vote against the motion tonight, you're going to have to be willing to tell that family that you don't want them in your country. And I think those people have a right, have a, deserve the opportunity to come to this country. I believe that in the course of what has been a very good discussion, the case against the motion has crumbled. Has a Syrian ever been arrested on terrorism charges in the United States, a Syrian refugee? No. Can the U.S. choose who it takes? Yes. Is the U.S. situation comparable to that in Europe? No. And does a vote against the motion play into division, hatred, and fear? Of course it does. It's obvious. And as a father of two young boys, as a leader of a charity that works to help boys just like them escape from terrorism, and as a great admirer of America, I ask you to support this motion not because it will make you feel good, but because it's right, because it's practical, and because it's a smart thing to do. Just the same qualities that make America great today and the qualities that will make America great tomorrow. So with head and heart, support the motion that will give 100,000 people the chance to rebuild their lives. Thank you, David Miliband. And that is the motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Here making his closing statement against the motion, David Frum, senior editor at The Atlantic and former special assistant to George W. Bush. I begin, I end as I begin, by reminding us of the terrible humanitarian crisis that the planet faces. Um, And we have offered you a choice of how to respond to it. One way multiplies your purchasing power by 12 or 13 times. Every dollar you spend um, in the United States is worth 12 or $13 if spent in the region. That is a miraculous return. What you are being asked to do by those who, who urge you to vote for this resolution is to ignore that fact. But that's not the only fact they're asking you to ignore. They're asking you to ignore what is going on right now in Germany. That's not relevant. They're asking you to ignore the experience of the Somalis, which are the last large-scale resettlement from this, from, from this part of the world. That's not relevant. They're asking you to look only at the, 400, the examples of the 415 uh, Syrians that uh, David Miliband's group has so well resettled and to ignore what is likely to happen as the population grows bigger. They're saying, don't think about the next generation. Don't think about uh, what is going to happen with the adjustment policy. Don't Think, feel. 
look at the image, see what's on TV, and act accordingly. You know, I strongly believe we owe a duty to humanity, um, and I think we ought to act on it. I believe Americans also owe their first duty to their country and their fellow citizens and what they need. But what I believe most fundamentally in every decision is that we owe our highest duty to reason and judgment. If you are making decisions because of something you saw, a picture you saw, something you saw on TV, you are making decisions wrong. You're doing violence to the whole idea of democracy and the reasoning process. I ask you to think. I ask you to, th- to say, I can multiply my, the good, my good deed by time 12 or 13. I can see what is happening in Germany. I remember our experience, and therefore I ask you to vote no to this resolution. Thank you. David Fromm. The resolution is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees here making his closing statement supporting the motion. Robert Ford, senior fellow at the Middle East Institute and former U.S. ambassador to Syria. Please remember, we're not talking about a process like in Germany. It's a very different thing. There aren't boat people coming to the United States from Syria the way they are in Europe. David and Jessica have said, well, we need to pay the countries where the refugees are now out in the region to stay there. The reality is, let me underline this, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, Iraq, do not want to keep taking more and more and more refugees. They want help with resettlement. That's where American leadership comes in. We don't take all of them, but we take 100,000. We leverage that to get the Europeans to take more. Let's try to get Gulf countries to take more, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates. Let's get some Asian countries to take some. This is about leadership. I want to emphasize that over time, the experience with Iraqis is that they become less and less dependent on public assistance. I'm sensitive to the argument they make. But again, this is about values. America is a land of opportunity. Will there be more resources expended when we're bringing refugees? Yes, there will be. But they're talking about trying to spend more in the region. I'm telling you, that won't work. And so it's better to bring them here, and over time, they will become less and less dependent. Finally, as Caitlin mentioned, I'm so glad this debate was in New York. The Statue of Liberty is out in New York Harbor. If you believe what's written on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your homeless, your tempest-tossed, if you think that's what America is, and I do, then please vote for the resolution. Thank you, Robert Ford. And that resolution is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees and here making her closing statement against it. Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Thanks. Well, we've heard some, some passionate and compassionate arguments from both sides tonight. Um, but we need to remember, I don't want our government and I don't think you want our government to make policy on the basis of a poem. I wanted to make policy on the basis of, uh, of a real sound analysis of the situation and our options. Okay? In addition to our debate on, on the facts and costs, we've also 
heard people talk about people. And I, and I, I want to close and, and ask you to think about a person that I read about uh, today on my way here. Her name is Serene. She's a Syrian woman, lives there. The headline of the article is, about Serene is, Woman Recalls Weeks Surrounded by Starvation and Suffering in a Syrian Town. It's not correct to say that the UN only wants us to resettle refugees. It is desperately seeking money. It's in the midst of a fundraising campaign to try to raise $9 billion to help the millions of Syrians who are in Syria. Um, The story talks about the lives of people and how they're literally starving. People are literally dropping dead because there is no food. And what I want to ask you is, should we pluck Serena out of Syria and help just her? Or would it be better to help her entire family in Syria? Which makes more sense for the money that we can allocate to this problem? To help 100,000 Syrians by bringing them here? Or to help 1.2 million Syrians in Syria by giving the UN the money that it is asking for and desperately needs to help more Syrians in Syrians in Syria. Think about that. That's why you need to say no to bringing 100,000 Syrian refugees here. Thank you, Jessica Vaughan. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees. Okay. We have come to the conclusion of tonight's debate. You have been asked to vote twice, once before you heard the arguments, and once again after you've heard the arguments. And remember, the team whose numbers move the most in percentage point terms between the two votes will be declared our winner. Let's look at the first vote on the motion. The U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees before the debate. 52% agreed with that. 12% were against. 36% were undecided. Those are the first votes. Let's look at the second result. In the second result, the team arguing for the motion, they went from 52% to 72%. That's a 20%. gain. So 20% is the number to top. The team against the motion, their first vote was 12%. Their second vote was 21%. They only went up nine percentage points. That means the team arguing for the motion, the U.S. should let in 100,000 Syrian refugees has proven most persuasive and won this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Uh, congratulations to them. And for me, John Donvan, Intelligence Squared U.S., we'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is Director of Research, and I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Van Greenfield, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Nemeth and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, and Daniel H. Stern. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.